You may be wondering, wondering where Joe is or where Justin is. Joe's with the youth camp, and uh, Justin and his family have really been battling a virus. So Joel and I, the other elder, we got a text yesterday morning about 11, and he said, I don't think I'm going to be able to be there. And I lost the coin toss, so... <laughs> I'll be leading the sermon, but not really. I've been leading the Financial Peace University class here at Real Life Ministries. So I'm actually thankful to have the opportunity to bring Justin's message to you here. Um, as you know, we've been going through the sermon series called Margins. And if you remember, the first week was Sabbath, teaching us how to rest well. And then last week was Worry, teaching us how to say no to some good things to we can say yes to the best things that the Lord has for us and help us deal with anxiety in the process. This week, the topic is finances. This topic can cause a lot of guilt and shame. I know I've dealt with it myself. I want you to know I believe that guilt is not from God, nor is it what I'm trying to convey to you. If you're struggling with finances, I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want you to feel shame. There's resources out here to help you, and we have them here at the church as well. So as you remember, the topic is margin, and margin can be defined as the space between our load and our limits, Mark Lentz. So you might ask, okay, when it comes to finances, how do I struggle with this? Quite frankly, the last year and a half or so have really hit me in the budget. I'm really struggling. Inflation's killing us, right? Gas prices are up, food prices are up. Everything that we need and have to have, those prices are up. And as a matter of fact, inflation and gas prices have even changed my perspective on song lyrics. Now, in full disclosure, this is actually Justin's analogy. I had to Google the song. I'd never heard the song. But there's a song out there called No Scrubs, and it goes something like this. These ladies are singing, and they're talking about guys, and they go, No, I don't want no scrubs. A scrub is a guy that guy can't get no love from me, hanging out the passenger side of his best friend's ride, trying to holler at me. She wants somebody that owns a car, right? Okay, so here's Justin's revised lyrics. Due to the increase in gas prices, a man hanging from the passenger side of his best friend's ride is no longer a scrub. He is a man making smart financial decisions. And I'm intrigued. I'm glad that didn't bomb. <laughs> all right. So how do we all struggle with this? Okay. We've all felt the impact of inflation. We've all felt stress. I mean, literally, is there, who has felt stress and anxiety over their finances the last year and a half or two, right? I mean, I don't know anyone that hasn't felt that. It's really tough. Um, but without a doubt, there's another thing out there that kind of causes stress and anxiety when it comes to finances. And it's a little thing called keeping up with the Joneses, right? Um, I've struggled with that myself. And uh, keeping up with the Joneses defined as to strive to get all the material things one's neighbor or associates have in the Collins Dictionary. So you might ask, how does that affect you? Or I'll ask, is it nicer home, you know, I want a nicer home, I want a nicer car, or here in Idaho, I want a nicer truck, right? I mean, there's a lot of things out there, maybe it could be a boat, maybe it could be 
a snowmobile or hey, what the heck, two snowmobiles in a trailer, right? We want nice things and that's keeping up with the Joneses creates stress for us. Um, and I've, I've struggled with this as well. I'll tell a little story a little bit later here. But when we have the keeping up with the Joneses mentality, at the heart, we are not willing to make adjustments to what is actually driving us. What ends up driving us is not a God-driven vision for our lives, but a culturally-driven vision for our lives. So what's the fruit of that? Is it more margin when we chase what the culture wants, or is it less margin? I believe it's less margin, right? Because we do all these things, we make these decisions that aren't in alignment with God's vision for our life, and then that creates the stress, the anxiety, etc. So what does the Bible say about this? We're going to be spending most of our time this week in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And as Paul's writing to Timothy, he starts out, he's setting them pretty hard. And he says, these are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, if you tithe, God's going to make you a millionaire or a billionaire. I'm not going to do that, right? But I do know from my life experience that when I chose not to tithe, life was rougher than when I chose to tithe and that he does always come through and provide my needs. So Jesus calls us to a life of godliness and also contentment. And one of the things, uh, when I opened up in my quiet time, I opened up the Bible app. I know a lot of us use the version, And it was talking about Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him that gives me strength. And the divisional really spoke to contentment. And I'd like to share it with you now. The one thing many, you'll see it like on football helmets and things like that, where people are out there and they're saying, well, I can do whatever I want you know, because the Lord's going to give me strength. And he really talks, not in that, it's just like, I can do whatever the Lord wants me to do, because the Lord will give me strength, whatever I'm called to do. So in this, it says strength in every season. Philippians 4.13 is a popular Bible verse that you may have seen posted on signs, social media, stickers, or cars. Maybe you've heard someone recite this verse before a sporting event or while trying to accomplish a difficult task. Unfortunately, this verse is often misunderstood. This verse is not saying that we can accomplish whatever we want. Paul isn't talking about winning a sports game or having the courage to do something daring. Instead, Paul is actually talking about his time in prison. He is referencing the power of God that was with him during this difficult time of ministry. In Philippians 4.12, he talks about the power he has to live content in every situation in life. He learned how to live with abundance and he learned how to live with nothing. He learned to live with very little food and resources and also with a lot of food and resources. Paul found that regardless of his circumstances, God continued to supply him with the power to do the work of God. He never lacked the strength and resources to tell others about the good news of Jesus, even while he was stuck in a prison. Paul could live in every season of life and accomplish all that God asked of him through the strength that God gave him. So instead of God giving us strength to do anything we want, 
He gives us the strength we need to endure various circumstances and accomplish the mission that he has given us. This means that you will never lack any resource to live a growing and godly life or to share the good news of Jesus with others. Here's what I want you to know. If you're in a season of abundance or a season of lack, remember, God is the one who gives you the strength to endure every season. If you find yourself in a difficult situation, ask God to supply you with the strength that only he can give. So the verse that Justin had here was Proverbs 21.20. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Then back to 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. Again, he's being a little tough. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into rule and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. A proof of living a life of contentment, contentment is having financial margin. So in the early 90s, the company I worked for, they uh, provided me a company car and then I was given $51 a week for my gas and my phone and my office expenses. And I had to have a car phone because I drove 50,000 miles that first year. I had to have it to communicate because it was very rural, southern Idaho, northern Nevada. So long story short, my expenses were typically about $250 a month above that fixed travel allowance. So I had my good credit card, and whenever I'd fill up the gas tank, I'd just keep swiping it, right? And then I'd take my $51 a week and I'd put it on there. Obviously, it wasn't enough. So what happens, interest begins to accrue and it runs up. So, oh, and the other thing I forgot, um, I also was really blessed. I was able to get annual bonuses. And I'd get my bonus check, and so instead of paying off the credit card, which would have been the smart thing to do, no. Jim needed a forerunner, and I bought a really nice forerunner. And I didn't pay cash. It had a nice payment on it, right? And so the rest of the money I could use for vacations. And we had some great times as a family on those vacations, but when you think about it, I didn't need the forerunner, and I didn't need the vacations. So by about 1996, I had amassed about $28,000 in credit card debt. So this is painful. Money's getting tight. I felt that the guilt I was talking about earlier. Um, so what I did though is I had lost all of my margin and because of that, my family had to endure pain due to my poor decisions. Because we, Deb and I, we buckled down and we paid off the 28 grand. We got rid of all the credit card debt. We still had the truck payment. But at that point, we made progress towards that financial independence. And again, I don't believe that guilt that I was feeling is from God nor is it what I'm trying to communicate. I mean, um, the one thing, and actually, I apologize. Um, Deb, if you could go back, there was a slide that didn't transfer over here. I think it was chart nine. It'll come up. It's, it's the chart that shows the savings and the debt. That one, yes, thank you. That didn't transfer over in Google Drive for some reason. But I actually found this chart I think on Monday, and I, because I knew Justin was talking about finances, and it really hit me. So if you look at it, the blue line is the personal saving rate as a percentage of household income, and the black line is just the consumer credit. So credit cards, stuff like that, no student debt, no mortgages, et cetera. 
So if you look at that chart on the, the black on the far right, the U.S. currently has 1.2 trillion in consumer debt, the highest it has ever been in the country's history. And then if you look at the blue line, you'll see it's now well below 5%. You'll probably have to go back to like 05, 06 to where we had that little in savings. So what happened, if you look at it, in 2020, COVID hit, right? So what happened, a lot of government money came out, people's savings went way up, and then the black line trended down. Some people did the right thing, they paid off their debt. But then because of all that cash being infused into the, infused into the economy, inflation takes off. That's where the black takes off again, the credit. So what happens, the credit increased and the savings decreased. That's why most Americans are really struggling with that. Um, so Deb, if you go to 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 16. Give her a second there. But you, man of God, this is where Paul's encouraging him. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were made, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be all honor and might forever. Amen. Then in verse 17, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And remember that chart. I mean, 1.2 trillion in credit consumer debt. Verse 18, command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So the point is, disciples of Jesus live with margin in their finances. Disciples of Jesus put their hope in God, including their finances. So, what should you do about this? You might ask, how do we create margin? How do we put our hope in God, even our finances? How do we reorient our thinking about finances in a kingdom mindset? In the uh, Ramsey Financial Peace University class that we're teaching, Dave does this thing where he's talking about, you have to have a car loan. You just have to. You have to have a student loan. You can't get through college without it. And then he goes through and he just peels all these back and he talks about so many of the millionaires that have become millionaires and they never had student debt. They worked their way through college. So there's ways to do it, but it all comes down to having that kingdom mindset and not going in debt to get what we, we, we strive to have and what the, hopefully the Lord blesses us with. So the first step here is you have to put God first in your finances. So it says, Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, some of you that are, or most of you that have been with us for quite a while, I love this because Justin has a great analogy that 
he had in here when he talks about the first fruits. And it's pie, right? You've heard this. And which slice of pie does Justin want? The first one, exactly. And the reason being is that first slice is the best slice. You slice that, you pull it out, you're getting all the goodies. The other slices, the, you know, the sweet filling kind of runs to the center, you don't get it, right? So he likes that first slice. And that's the way it's supposed to be with God. He gets the first, he gets the best. So I challenge you to ask yourself these questions. What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to start doing? And ultimately, what's the real priority? So you have to live within a budget. This is step two. You have to live within a budget and let contentment be the driver. That's where I was right, thought that, that Bible study this morning was so appropriate, that devotion. So remember 1 Timothy 6, 19. God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God isn't holding out on us. He wants us to have true joy. And then he has Proverbs 21, 16. Whoever strays from the path of prudence comes to rest in the company of the dead. Trust that blessings will come. If you want God's blessing, you have to honor him. Here's the kicker. The world will tell you to create margin by withholding from God. I'm guilty. I've done that. I did that when we lived in Twin Falls, the same period I was talking about earlier. And, you know, it's our home. Water heater's been working great, not an issue. But due to my poor decisions, money started getting tight, right? Interest rates are racking up, payments are racking up. And uh, I made the decision to withhold our tithe from the local church that we attended. I swear, it was like Tuesday after that Sunday where I made the decision not to tithe, our water heater went out. So money's tight already, right? And it was like $400 for the water heater and installation. Had to do it, right? You have to have hot water. So I did that, but how did I pay for that? put it on the credit card, right? So it just inflicted more pain. But it's one of those things where, like I said, I made the decision to withhold from God and I felt immediate pain. Now I'm a dumb farm kid from Oregon. And like I always say, men only learn when there's pain involved. But I felt pain and I learned. And because of that, my wife and I have been committed to tithing every Friday when we get our paycheck, right? And it's so important. And, and to go on, I can think of so many times throughout our life when money would be tight, but I was like, Lord, I know you got me. I know you provide all of our needs. And I mean, I can, there's countless examples of, I was in sales and there'd be a customer, large customer that would pay really good commission that I'd been calling on for over a year and I was thinking, this guy's never going to buy. And all of a sudden, he calls me and says, hey, how fast can you get your stuff in here? You know, that's a blessing from God. And time and time and time again, just random checks sometimes come. You know, it could be a tax refund or whatever, you know, things like that. But it's always, it just seems like he always blesses it in God's timing to meet our need. So, um, coming, tying it into last week. To live this way, we need to say no to good things, to say yes to great things. We should say no to eating out. We should say no to either Starbucks or Dutch Bros. I know this is a split crowd here. We should say no to what we really want. If I choose those things over God, 
at the core of that, I have chosen idolatry as I have placed what I think I want or need over what God says I need. Proverbs 3.10, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. 1 Timothy 6.19, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So how can we all live this out together? If we all live this out and put God first in our finances, what would that look like? And just a few months ago, I think it was the Christmas Eve service, Justin shared a story how with your donations, you contributed nearly $3,000 to a man that received a double lung transplant. And he's at the down in Utah because he's gotta be within 45 minutes of the University of, of Utah Medical Center. And you did that. And the great thing is the church, and I'm an elder, it's actually my son-in-law's dad. I, wasn't, I didn't even mention this, but because we walk in relationship, Joe and Justin and Jenny, they made the decision. They said, we wanna bless them using the benevolence fund. So they said, we're gonna do this. And then without me knowing it, Justin went to the worship team and the AVL team and said, hey, this is what's going on with Carlos's dad. Would you guys be willing to help? And think about that. The members of those teams gave far more than the church did. Why? Because they love Carlos. They love Taylor. So, when you think of that, I mean, Ray and Lori were actually, they were brought to tears. I'm almost brought to tears here too. Because they're not members here, right? They're believers, but they don't go to church here. But Carlos and Taylor's church chose to bless them. And it, like I said, it brought them to tears. And ask yourself, if we continue to give and support the Lord's work here, what else could we do? I mean, I think of times we gave away backpacks. We've done free haircuts for kids. We've done kicks for kids where every student at Meridian Elementary got a new pair of shoes. Every teacher got a new pair of shoes. We did all of the work on the landscaping at Meridian Elementary. I mean, when people work together and pull together, it is just absolutely mind-blowing how the Lord blesses that work and multiplies it. Let's like, on the backpacks, this is really quick, but we knew how many backpacks we had and we had all these kids coming. I still to this day don't know how it happened, but we gave out more backpacks than we had. I mean, the loaves and the fish, right? Okay, so when we live this life, blessings follow. So the next steps to commit to for the take home, step one, you have to put God first in your finances. Step two, you have to live within a budget. And again, key word here, let contentment be the driver. And step three, trust that blessings will come. So we now come to our time of communion. So if any of you did not grab the elements on the way in, uh, please raise your hand and then uh, the team will actually bring these up to you.